Hey, Mark, you know I've been spending a lot more time in Denmark recently. Yeah, the uh, bakery date uh, is in the calendar still. Well, it being a Nordic country uh, and everything, I found the perfect solution to streaming all those lovely films and TV shows that we review whilst I'm there. Well, what on earth would that perfect solution be, Simon? Well, Nord VPN, of course. You see, it's Nord Nordic. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's I get it. Moving on. With one click, NordVPN can change my device's virtual location so I can access all the content I need when I'm abroad. I can now watch poor things, whether in London or Paris. Why even wait until you're on holiday? You can do it right now and access content in over 61 different countries, unlocking all this content for less than a price of a Pano Raisin a month. Pano Raisin. Pano Raisin. To take our huge discount huge. off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com take. Our link will also give you four extra months for free on the two-year plan. Now, back to the show. Well, hurrah! It's me. Uh, which do is I have the to do that now? Since of, you're, do I have well, to? Because I have to go. Hurrah, Sanjeev! I, I, I don't think there's any. I mean, do you feel it? Well, I do. I feel it, but it's now. It's the rule now. Has anyone done it? Has anyone gone? Hurrah, Sanjeev! Uh, I got a hurrah uh, on social media after that particular show okay, went but, out, but not in person. Not in person. I think. Uh, well. Uh, Mira, uh, the, the good missus, lady actor, writer, producer, her indoors. <laughs> good lady, BAFTA fellow. Yeah, BAFTA fellow. So I think <laughs> her, she goes straight to that. Um, she w- wanted to write in um, after that was mentioned on this uh, show uh, to say, look, do I have to do it? Because yeah. I see him every day. Yes. And that would get tiresome. I think it would be funny, though, because, because repetition is a form of comedy. Repetition is a form of comedy. It is indeed. Thank you. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, like, you, so you were saying the other day, that you, if if you're in the presence of um, Mel Brooks, yeah. you feel duty bound to make Mel Brooks laugh. I did. Yeah, the one time I met. Okay, him. so now this is. So I've now I've made you. You've laugh. done it. I've done, done it. That's it. I I wish I'd made it goal more difficult achieved. for you. Um, and for those of you who are still wondering what the heck I'm on about, uh, this is Sanjeev Baskar, and hello, and I'm sitting in for Simon. So I'm sort of, I'm a, I'm a sub, but but also I'm sub Simon. I'm a bit less than Simon. I think you're Simon adjacent. Am I? Yes. That's Sanj. Is he? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I like that. I think he wants me to be slightly sub. Okay. So I'd be right. slightly sub Simon. Okay. I don't, well, I'm not. I'm not buying it. And part of the reason I'm not buying it is because because you're here today. So usually, if this was Simon. I would have gone to stay at Simon's house last night mm. and you were very gracious and you said, oh, well, look, if you haven't got anywhere to stay other than the Travelodge, the Premier Inn hub, incidentally, never has the word hub been more, that word is doing a lot of lifting in that sentence. So I, I came to your, I came to your house. You did. Well, it, you know, we- Oh, you, wow. Well, we figured that you'd got used to Showbiz North London. And so why change that for you? Because that might just completely throw you. It's just, but it was, because the whole routine, because you, what usually, right, with Simon, I just said, because I don't want to get under his feet because I'm there every day. So I turn up at 9.30 and I have a thing. And I, but you said, no, come early. You made food. There was food. Your family was there. It was lovely. You showed me the Thunderbird puppet of you. I, yes. Which, I which was next to the good lady BAFTA winner, her endorses award. Yeah. Well, well you and know, I have to say the Thunderbird puppet was more impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I'm going to add that as a note and stick it to uh, my Thunderbird puppet's head. You, so just in case anyone doesn't know this, 
you were a Thunderbird puppet. Yeah, so what happened was that um, there were some audio recordings in the form of a uh, an LP, uh, a disc vinyl that was kind of released in around 1965 or 66 of Thunderbirds, the Thunderbird show. So they had these audio adventures. And so these guys who were kind of passionate about the show thought, wouldn't it be great if we just made the puppets and did the did visuals the show, yeah. for those shows? And so they said to me, look, you know, one of the characters uh, is an an agent in India, in the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, it's, um, it's, it's, it's so it's voiced by someone from that time. <laughs> I hope you're not offended. And I said, no, I'm not offended because it's of that time. And that's kind of fun. And they said, but we have this tradition of making puppets with, you know, someone's likeness, you know, someone's real person's likeness. Yeah. And can we base this on you? And I went, I could, I could not be more delighted. So um, uh, the character... <laughs> Of my likeness is called Galloped In. Galloped In. Galloped In. Din. Yeah, Galloped In. Say it again. Galloped In. Galloped In. Himalayan agent. But um, uh, the Lady Penelope goes to me. And so the weird thing was kind of when they finished it was seeing my likeness on there. <laughs> but with a voice from 1965 <laughs> of a very, very British actor doing an Indian accent. <laughs> So my son, who was quite young at the time, he just looked and went, that is the weirdest thing ever. Because the voice goes like this, and it goes up and down, because this is how people thought that people from the Asia used to speak. And so um, it was, yeah, but it was such an honour. And then they gave me the puppet as as a prize. And it's in a glass box. It's in a it's, presentation box. It's just, it is magnificent. And its head is hanging slightly, slightly to the side, like it's going... Play with me. Well, you, well, now you've said that, that's going to scare me. Uh, I thought it was kind of cocked to one side in a slightly empathetic oh, oh, okay, sort okay. of way. But now you've said that, it's going to go all chucky yeah, on me. I'm going to find it's it like, empty. It's like magic. It is definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back and I'll, it'll be empty and some of our kitchen knives will be missing. And then that'll be it. Then I'll be barricading myself in a door. Killed by your own Thunderbird puppet. Yeah, exactly. That is a tale of the unexpected. Strung up. I was going to say, say, may I drag us back to the script, but why why bother? Well, I mean, there's a script. Um, Aren't we we following it now? But uh, also I have to say, but you 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 were very welcome and you were a perfect guest. It was lovely. uh, Last night. Uh, But also uh, it was slightly kind of uh, through me that you were discovered outside her house by the good lady BAFTA fellow sitting on a bench. Okay. All right. To be she brought you in like a kind of, you know, bedraggled cat. I want to be clear about this, okay? If I say to somebody, I will arrive at your house at seven o'clock, I will arrive at your house at seven o'clock. Okay, so when I go to Simon's house, I say 9.30 because, mm. you know, so he's, and I arrive there at 9.30. I hadn't been to your house before, so I did the ch- tube and then I did the walk and the walk was slightly shorter than you said. It's about 10 minutes, mm. seven and a half. Mm-hmm. So I got to your house and it was two and a half minutes to go or something like that, maybe a little bit longer. So there was a bench. So I sat on the bench thinking, it's okay, I'll just wait because I don't want to ring on the doorbell before because it's rude to turn up early. I turn up when I... And then suddenly I had a tap on the shoulder went, Mark, and I looked up and I... Because the sun was like, I couldn't quite see who it was. It was... And she went... Why are you sitting on a bench outside our house? I mean, it was also a bench in full view of our house. Yes, but I... I mean, you open the door and we see Mark Kermode sitting on a bench. 
So had you seen me from in the house? I hadn't. But she had. Yeah, I was too busy kind of trying to prepare it to, to the get, standards. Get it all, to get the Thunderbird puppet's <laughs> head in the right yeah. in the right shape. Yeah. Anyway, and then I tried to explain it, and then I made a pig's ear of explaining it. And then then we came in, and she went, Sanj, I just found Mark on a bench. <laughs> yeah, and then it was, and that was it was the beginning of a wonderful evening. It was. Well, that was, and you were most welcome, and you will be again. But next time, don't sit on the bench. I mean, if you're going to sit on a bench, sit one, sit at one that's sit not in full, full view of hide. the house. I can hide behind the salt holder, you know, the big thing with, <laughs> yes. with the stone. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Perfect. All right. Anyway, thank you anyway, very much. It was really, really lovely. Thank not you. Not at all. A pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And it's very. this is very exciting for me. So I'm very excited to be here on the take, sitting in for Simon, and especially with you, Mark. Especially with you. Um, so um, let's run through what we're going to do today. So in take one today, uh, we are covering... Well, Gran Turismo with our special guest... Neil Blomkamp. Who you have interviewed. I Indeed I did, over Zoom. Uh, Haunted Mansion and the Meg 2, which came out last week, I was off last week, is currently number one in the worldwide box office ahead of Barbie. Which is quite something. Um, uh, also, given that it had a almost celebratedly low Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah, well... It just well, firstly, Rotten Tomatoes, Yabu sucks. Yeah, and also, also, you know, Anton Battelle. Yeah, well, we'll. I will. We'll get I will review the film in full. Um, uh, you know, because I saw it a little while ago. I have a slightly different view to most critics, and it turns out that the worldwide box office seems to support him. We'll look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in take two, uh, we'll have bonus reviews, which will include uh, Limencita, uh, Katak the Brave Beluga, and Puffin Rock and the New Friends. Those two are kind of like a, a very nice double bill because they're both uh, animated features. And Indeed, they are. I think there is something else, isn't there? Uh, well, we'll have one frame back, which is inspired this week by Gran Turismo. So we'll be looking at films about video game competitions. Uh, Mark returns to pretentious moi. Uh, Mark, did you know Anna got both of hers over the last two weeks? I didn't. Okay, but now you, know, you know. Yeah, but I, 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 I've on. been doing it longer, and so obviously I've you know got more wrong that there are you know. I don't like this feature. That anymore. sounded confident. Yeah. And you can support us via Apple Podcasts or head to extratakes.com for non-fruit related devices. And we also have a take three. And yes. in this week's take three, uh, we are talking about Enter the Dragon, 4K yes. restoration, 50th anniversary. Uh, plus, we're looking back at... Yeah, so I, mean, I should just say this at the beginning of the show. So... If, as you may well know, William Friedkin, who is one of my favourite filmmakers of all time, who made what I consider to be the greatest movie ever made, The Exorcist, uh, died uh, this week. It's very sad news. I knew Billy for you know, several decades and had many interactions with him over the years. And um, I think he had an extraordinary, an extraordinary career. I mean, not just French Connection and Exorcist, but Sorcerer, which you and I have talked about. We'll talk about again. Um, you know, Bug, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I mean, he just an extraordinary body of work, and also just somebody whose company I enjoyed enormously. I will miss Billy terribly. Um, and we're going to be celebrating his life and work in take three. So if you get a chance to listen to that. Excellent. Um, and so now, uh, Mark, yes. just diverting for a second. Yes. Are you looking forward to your curated weekend of movies for the rooftop film? It's club? funny that you should bring that up, Sanji, because yeah. I'm very much looking forward to my curated uh, weekend. So this is Rooftop Film Club. It's the Peckenham site, which is the Bussy Building, on uh, Saturday the 19th, which is this Saturday, and Sunday the 20th. So that's not this Saturday. It's a week away, 19th, 20th. Still have tickets for, uh, for available for Saturday's Day of Sci-Fi Films. It's 
triple bill that mm. you would love, Back to the Future, yeah, Arrival, yeah. which the good lady BAFTA winner, her indoors, said is one of her... Favourite sci-fi films favorites. ever. Mm. And Interstellar, which last night I said to you, what's your favourite Chris Nolan film? And you said, that's, that's the one that you'd go back and That's watch the again. one I'd go back to immediately, yeah. And then Sunday's rom-com day, very special for you. Notting Hill. My film debut. Your film third debut. Third Angry Man in Restaurant. Excellent. Um, uh, you've got Mail and When Harry Met Sally. And again, we, we were having a conversation about whether or not When Harry Met Sally is one of the most perfectly constructed comedy scripts. Because mm. Nora Ephron's, just the structure of it is extraordinary. Um, there are special exclusive intros by me and Simon. We recorded them here. It's basically us just talking a bunch of waffle before the film. Uh, Rooftop Film Club has comfy deck chairs, iconic London views and irresistible food and drink. The bar is marvellous. Uh, for tickets, go to kermodemayor.com. That's kermodemayor.com to get your tickets now. Uh, also, we've teamed up with, uh, I mean, I'll just read this bit out. Also, Kermodemayor's take has teamed up with Roof Club Film Club Rooftop Film Club to offer listeners two-for-one tickets across their London sites on Wednesdays throughout their summer programme. Just use the code THETAKE at checkout to redeem the offer. I think I did that adequately. It's beautifully done. Beautifully done. I can't imagine it being done better, actually, other than by someone else. Now, was other you, than was, that, it, was that your bit? <laughs> no, not I'm sorry, I just... No, it's just beautifully done. In, it's a, beautifully in, done. in a break from tradition, I was actually reading the script. I I would take the compliments, uh, whether they were suggested or not. Okay. Um, the emails. Uh, greetings, top production team and super subs. Just wanted to drop a quick line to praise Anna and Rihanna for keeping the ship steady while my, Mark and Simon are off gallivanting. Inspired by Anna and the fact that Greta Gerwig is awesome, I ordered my Greta Gerwig Barbie shirt from Girls on Tops. Received it today, smashing. I love it. I'm a member at my local Cineplex and tend to see at least two films a week. Very good. It's impressive. Film one this week was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Anna, please note the order, uh, which I found far more enjoyable than I was expecting. Great voice acting, Ice Cube. Excellent soundtrack, A Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul. Great animation and a reasonably snappy script. Film two was Talk To Me. I'm not typically a horror fan. I tend to find them samey and not very interesting. However, I found this to be a fairly original take on the genre with a pleasingly twisted sensibility. Decent acting, good practical effects, and despite some jumps in plot logic, I felt it rattled along at a good pace and held my interest. Next week will be The Meg 2. Almost certainly rubbish, despite Ben Wheatley, and Joyride. I've seen the trailer, which did not enamour me, so I'm pretty uneasy about this one. As a PS, I recently watched Hijack on Apple TV, which is properly rubbish. Some awful acting, terrible scripts, and bewildering behaviour be, behaving from most of the characters. For shame, Mr Elba. PPS, I live near the canal in Leighton Buzzard, so we'll wave and holler when Mark and Simon's boat passes. Up with Greta Gerwig and down with anyone who seeks to drain joy from the world. That's from Kevin, and he's included a picture of himself in the said T-shirt. Well, well done for using the phrase properly rubbish. Yes. Which is what was the other thing? Reasonably adequate script was it? It said it was something like reasonably be, bewildering behaving, bewildering but bewildering behaving. Very good. Very good. For most of the characters, there we go. Um, so um, you have seen Haunted Mansion, Mark? Yeah, Haunted Mansion comedy horror based on Disneyland theme park ride rebooting the was it two thousand and three version with uh, Eddie Murphy. This is in part of Disney's ongoing project to turn all their theme park rides into films. So I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean, obviously the the big success. Jungle Cruise, which I actually kind of rather liked. So this is directed by Justin Simeon, who made 
Dear White People, from a script by Kate Dipple, who went from writing Parks and Recreation to writing the the much maligned Ghostbusters reboot, mm-hmm. which I thought was you know better than a lot of people gave it credit for. And there is a, a lot of Ghostbusters in this visually, along with remember that it was a Bette Midler film, Hocus Pocus. Did you play the witch? Yeah, that's right. A little bit of that. So, Lakeith Stanfield, who Simon interviewed uh, for Judas and the Black Messiah, is astrophysicist turned paranormal tour guide Ben. He lost his wife. He now carries on her spirit photography. Rosario Dawson is uh, recently widowed New York doctor Gabby, who moves with her son into the titular mansion in New Orleans, where, I mean, the title is haunted, so, you know, there are spirits. Owen Wilson is Father Kent, (laughs) who is the priest exorcist with a backstory. He persuades Ben to come and try and photograph the hauntings in the mansion, only for them all to become trapped in there like the rest of them. Tiffany Haddish is Harriet. Jamie Lee Curtis is Madame Liotta, for whose ghost they end up. I mean, everyone's in it. Here's a clip. And let me tell you, it will fight back. Ghosts like to fight. For example, 1813, a group of mediums went into the house just a little north of here. It took 21 days. They worked their butts off and they got that deceased owner out of there. But they were all found... uh, How old are you? Nine. Okay, I'm talking organs on the outside. Nine is young. It's It's not that young, girl. I was driving by nine. Look, I know that might have been an extreme example. Yes. But they were a group of amateurs. I am a professional, okay? I'm bona fide and qualified, certified, and I can get rid of what died. So... That's kind of the tone of it. So loads and loads of people uh, in it. We also have uh, Danny DeVito, who I always think is, you know, a great kind great, of presence. Good value. Bunch of other people. Anyway, so. Oh, and uh, Jared Leto as the hatbox ghost. No, not doing that. No, no. I think he's, I think he's, it's kind of, I'm not quite sure what accent is. But anyway, apparently, so originally Guillermo del Toro was doing a version of this. This is way, way back. I think it was 2010. And Guillermo del Toro was talking about the Hatbox Ghost and how much he was kind of, that was a central character. And then he said that his film was going to be scary but fun, but the scary will be scary. And then it was decided that his he moved away from directing and then his script was too scary. So they started again, too scary for family audiences. Now what we have is a film which, you know, cost a huge amount of money. The problem with it is it isn't scary, fine, but it isn't particularly funny either. There is a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff, but there is nothing going on. There is lots of, you know, lots of sort of visuals and, you know, stuff flying and kind of sub-timber and bits that remind you how much you preferred Beetlejuice, but precious little involvement. And, you know, there are a couple of, there are a couple of scenes, because there are good performers in it. I mean, there's a scene in which Lakeith Stanfield talks about grief and there's a moment when um danny devito does his wisecracking thing in fact danny devito wisecracking is great i miss why i love matilda i think danny devito is a really really funny screamer but these are individual bits in what is essentially a smorgasbord of stuff i confess i found it surprisingly dull when you consider how much is going on and how much talent there is on screen you go okay fine this is what happens when you try to adapt a theme park ride you've got that bit and you've got that bit and you've got that bit and you've got that bit over there and you go okay now make a story out of that oh it it doesn't are they i mean they're aiming for a disney family yeah it's a family audience thing but but what guillermo is right about is that those things only work if there is a frisson of horror and a frisson and comedy has to be funny you know has to be to take an example evil dead right which is a horror movie 
is really scary and really funny, and it's very, very surprising. There are other things. I mean, there are elements of of movies like uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark that are really kind of, oh, mm-hmm. you know, that really alarm. There's nothing in this that makes you shiver, and there's very, very little in it that makes you laugh out loud. What, it, what there is is a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, and a lot of quite expensive stuff, and some actors that we all admire mm. going... Okay, well, it'll pay the bills, but and it and considering the talent behind it, I just I, surprisingly dull. Well, that was Haunted Mansion, and still to come, Mark. Oh, still to come, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, the director of Gran Turismo, who is uh, Neil Blomkamp, and we will also be reviewing looks back to the beginning of the script. Help me out, the Meg. Oh, the Meg Two. Sorry, the Duh. Meg Two. No, Meg Two, the Trench. Le Meg Two. No, no, not le Meg Two. <laughs> The Trench, or as one could, Meg Duh. <laughs> we'll be back after this short break. This episode is brought to you by the curated streaming service, Movie. Mark, for our wonderful listeners who already have a movie account, and for those who might be thinking about getting one, could you please tell us what films they can enjoy this May? Certainly, Simon. This month, Movie are launching their Cannes Takeover. You know how much I love Cannes. And in honour of the Cannes Film Festival, which kicks off this month, here is a selection of what they have available to stream in the UK. They have Annette, which is the Leos Carax musical, with uh, music by Sparks, which is absolutely wonderful, and Tokyo Gar, which is the film by a German director, Wim Wenders, who travels to Tokyo to explore the world of one of his cinematic heroes, Yasujiro Ozu. That's Mubi's Can Takeover series. What else? Well, there's also Voila Vada, which is a look back on some of the best of the famous French director. There's Cleo from 5 to 7, Le Bonheur, Vagabond, The Gleaners and I, and The Beaches of Agnes. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash Kermit That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Kermit for a whole month of great cinema for free. So we just wanted to tell you about what our friends at Rooftop Film Club are up to. As you know, they are London's king of outdoor cinema. More than just a movie with Rooftop Experiences located at Bussy Building in Peckham and Roof East in Stratford. Sit back, relax, get cosy in a blanket and use the QR code on your seat to have food and drink delivered directly to you. They're playing all the award-winning films like Past Lives, Anatomy of a Fall, All of Us Strangers, but also classics like Interstellar, When Harry Met Sally, and more recent films like Challengers and Fall Guy. Rooftop Film Club offers memberships for as little as £25 per month. That's not all. As a Vanguard Easter, you get two-for-one tickets on a Wednesday with the code THETAKE24. That's T-H-E-T-A-K-E. 24. Visit rooftopfilmclub.com. Hurrah, it's us. Hurrah, Sanjeev. I think it's us. I, I, yeah, I like the hurrah, it's us. But no, you have to have your own thing, though. Uh, maybe I should be a. Maybe it should be a. Uh, <laughs> it's Sanjeev. <laughs> Hurrah, it's us. I feel more comfortable with that. Anyway, we have uh, more emails. Uh, By the way, um, if you do want to send emails uh, at any future point, it's correspondence at kermodeandmayo.com. I am assured that you can spell the word any way you like because we bought all the domains. Did you? Because we figured that none of us could spell... There was a whole discussion about Simon going, how do you spell correspondence? So... Yeah. Paul, the great redactor, just he just figured out all versions of it and just It's something slightly unnerving about someone saying we bought all the domains. That's right. yes, we, <laughs> we own everything. It's kind of like Marvel villain. Um this is an email which On the is, subject of which, oh, well yeah. done. No, I mean you're not a vet, but you know, you turn up in a you're in the you are one of the best things in the flash. Well, thank you very much. You st- you stole <laughs> the scene. If that isn't 
being utterly damned with faint praise. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Listen, you're in it. I was there. You were there. I was there. I was there. Um, back to emails. This one is uh, from Eve. And Eve says, Dear Pink and Blue, it's pretty tough being trans in the UK at the moment and often makes it difficult to celebrate how far I have come. Having recently watched Nimona, however, uh, it gave such a reaffirming feeling and made me cry, jump for joy and everything in between. With the source material being created by a trans artist and having so many allegories for how trans people are treated, it hit close to home, but celebrated it in such an unapologetic way that was just so joyful to watch. Very was good. amazing. Very good. Very also, good. I have unfortunately not watched Barbie yet, but seeing clips of Harry Neff just joyfully existing in a world of other Barbies is an amazing feeling and shows such a positive trajectory towards positive trans representation that provides so much hope and joy to the community. I hope things change for the better and thank you for the entertainment. Up with LGBTQ plus community and down with TERFs, Eve. Very good. Thank you That's for the email. And I'm, I'm, th I'm thrilled that you like Nimona and I've now seen Barbie twice. Because when I was off, we said, Dad, are you, we're going to see Barbie. He was like, yeah. And, we, and actually, we saw it in the Newland Film House, which is lovely. And half the audience was dressed in pink. And I thought I was going to Well, be, I was going to ask you, did you? Yeah, but they were fantastically code compliant. Right. Dressed in pink. Yeah. When the film started, really fabulously well behaved. Uh, did you, you know, there's a kind of website where you can sort of, you basically input a picture and they'll send you a picture back of yourself. Yeah, my kids did Barbie it. Barbie or Ken. Just, yeah. What was yours like? The, it, just weird. I didn't, it, did, it looked like neither Ken nor me. It just looked like some horrible... Okay, when, when we next take a break, I'll show you mine. Okay. And I want you to tell me who you think it looks okay. like. Is it as good as the Thunderbird puppet? It's, uh, well, I'll leave that to you okay. uh, to decide. Um, okay, so we have top 10 and we have streamers coming up. So last week, streamers, Heartstoppers, series two. This is uh, me. Is this Ip? Or 1P? <laughs> Can't be 1P. Me, Ip, on YouTube. Just finished watching season two, and I absolutely love it. We'll have to watch both seasons again now. I wish there was season three right now instead of waiting a year for it. I love how it represents everyone in the queer community, and it's so rare for bi people to be represented this well. Uh, you Hurt My Feelings. This is at YBolarinwa88 on YouTube. I'm glad you got to do this. Do you know what? It's kind of, I mean, I'm just assuming that's the name. Just um, I've loved season one of Hot Stoppers. I haven't seen season two yet, but I, season one was very charming. Excellent. Um, this, uh, you hurt my feelings. Given the recent celebration of Greta Gerwig as a female writer, director, uh, now uh, you might have to help me with this. Nicole Holofcener. That's it. With her work across film and TV seems quite underrated. Uh, so we're on to the box office top 10 uh, this week. Uh, UK number 10, US number 9, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I, I'm kind of surprised by how sniffy many of the reviews were. I mean, it's, it is what it is. A, a lot of people got off their bike about, well, you know, it's so old-fashioned. So it it's Indiana Jones. It has a lot of Toby Jones. And it has Toby Jones fighting on a train. Um, I actually didn't think the de-aging stuff was bad. Simon didn't, wasn't, as, you know, but it's... I thought it was pretty good. It's fine. I thought it was pretty good. I think the only thing that I did feel mad. with it... <laughs> Yeah, we well, see. I you see. I think the 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 uh, Indiana Jones 
films that have worked best are one and three. And in both occasions, they were sort of religious relics yeah. that had some sort of power. Once yeah. you kind of drift away from that and you can time travel, I think it's not an Indiana Jones film anymore. So three is Last Crusade, right? The Last yeah, Crusade, well, which is that, my favourite. Yes, which know. is lovely because of the relationship between yeah, them. And that it, works really, really well. And it's funny and yeah. the action sequences yeah. are good. And I like James Mangold as a director yeah, me very too. much. Yeah. You know, everything from Copland to uh, Logan. Well, heavy, to, of course, which actually is a really great film. Terrific, terrific director. But I think that... Spielberg films, uh, in their action, have a certain kind of wit. And there was a certain wit in the action that was missing in this. They were all very clever, yeah. but there's, there was just a lack of wit in it. Well, it, it also didn't help that it opened back to back with Mission Impossible, in which you go, yeah, no, there, that's... <laughs> you, yeah. want the, you, want or, the, you want the exciting action sequence on a train? It's that one. I have to say, you know, the combination of kind of Indiana Jones and uh, uh, Mission Impossible, you know, you have leading actors whose combined age is about 140, and they both managed to uh, combine to make me feel inadequate. Yes, that, that is what they're there for. Oh, good. If Tom Cruise isn't there to make everyone feel inadequate, I don't know what he's there for. <laughs> Excellent. At UK number nine, US number eight is Talk To Me. Which I think is really interesting. Um, I, I, the thing I like about it is that it takes a a sort of a bunch of ideas that you've that you've seen done before. I mean, it's kind of on one level like Evil Dead for the Snapchat generation, but it's it's got um it sets out its parameters quite clearly, which is you know that basically kids are using demonic possession as a way to get high, and it's a lot of it is about addiction, and a lot of it is you know it has a kind of real world grounding, but it's a fantastical story, and it's just very very efficiently played so the it's not loud you know quite quite loud jump scares although there are a few jumps in it but it's it's intelligent because it's about something but the mechanics of the horror are done very well so i think you know what it's really about is about how difficult it is to be an adolescent how difficult it is to find your identity in the world and, and the issues of addiction but it's telling that story through a you know a teenage party trick which is that you hold this mummified hand and you become possessed by a spirit, but only for 90 seconds, unless you don't let go of the hand. You go, okay, that's a really smart idea. Good. And they do it yeah. really well. At number eight in the UK, not charted in the US, is Rocky Orani Ki Prem Kahani. Now, this is Hindi language rom-com family drama. I haven't seen it because I've been off for the last two weeks. I don't think it was press screened anyway, because most of those movies don't tend to get press screens in advance. So if anyone has seen it, Please let us know. Please let us know. The translation for that, since I'm here and I can do this Go ahead. kind of stuff, is Rocky and Rani's love story. Very good. That's what it means. Um, do you speak fluent? Are you fluent? Hindi? Uh, in Hindi? Yeah. Yes. I can read and write. Hindi oh, well. And Punjabi. How many languages do you speak? I can speak uh, English. Does that count? I can do different accents. Do they do they count as languages? No, uh, Hindi, Punjabi, a little bit of French, which I've been learning from an app for the past wow. year, and a little bit of German that I remember from my school. Wow! And and then just part, like, cling on, and <laughs> so it's kind of a, and a whole bunch that I just made. I'm up. so yeah, I speak one language. That's it. Which which one? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> At UK Try number seven, tip your waitress. <laughs> UK number seven, US not charted is Joyride, which I think you know is kind of fun. Um, it, it, a little bit, you know, a lot of vom, a lot of gross out, but some sort of sharp observations on identity. Yeah, perfectly fun. I have an email from Lee, and this says, uh, "Dear Joy and Joyful, uh, just out in my local picture house in Showbiz North London of Joyride. What a glorious." 
raucous and very funny exhibition of friendship and narcotics. It all screamed through at a well fine pace. <laughs> Even the stuff that didn't always work worked for the bigger picture. The observations and wit from the script of abiding friendship and growing up and comprehending a 90 to 99% white environment were easy to relate to. Even as, in my case, a Korean, British and Aussie male adoptee growing up in Essex in the early 80s. Right. Of the four or five other pa patrons, I couldn't help but notice, I blame Essex, I was the only Asian in the house. It was the same for a packed art house screening of Parasite too. Anyway, it probably says more about the fact that it was a Monday at one o'clock in Crouch End than any race relations study. Down with the shrill haters, up with the relaxed presence and presentation evidenced by your friendship. Love and Lolo Lee. That's your and Simon's friendship, well, I think, really. It could also be yours and mine. Well, <sighs> that's nice. Uh, UK number six and US number 10 is Elemental. Which I think, it was funny, I don't know whether you heard Simon's interview with the director. But I it, did. Very moving. Yes. And uh, my view of the film has been irrevocably changed by hearing the director interviewed. So I no longer know whether I'm talking about the film or the interview. When I saw the film, I thought, it's okay, I don't quite get the elements thing. And then I heard his my his interview with Simon and I, suddenly it was like oh actually this seems much more profound to me now so it was a perfect case of an interview actually made the film better for me so UK number five US number seven Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning part one would, how's your hat I would ha yeah <laughs> I would have you know I had I told you I had an, e an email from I think it was one of the editors or something asked whether they could have that framed um, I have kept that notebook um, it's just it's so exciting. Uh, and I know the plot doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter. It is so exciting. It's the kind of movie in which you can put a face mask on and suddenly the eyes match up and the teeth match up and your height changes and everything. But everything, fine, it's mission. But the action sequences are just, you know, it's Buster Keaton level of wow, isn't it? It's just. Yeah, I, thought, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And it's, it is a thrill ride. Um, but also, and Simon Pegg's a friend of mine, and I, I'm just really proud and pleased of Simon's character's development yeah. from, you know, slightly comedy sidekick in, in his first appearance and now being a fully-fledged member of the team. Yeah, yeah. And he's still got, obviously, he's got great comic timing and he's a good actor. And now he's kind of running around as well. And you know that he said um, that when he was doing the stuff, when when Tom Cruise is in the in the parachute and mm. he's talking to them and the thing, the dialogue is actually Tom Cruise in the parachute. He said, because Tom insisted on that was, you know, it, it, won't, it won't work otherwise. You know? <laughs> okay, so, okay, so you've got to drive the bike off the cliff again? Yeah, I know. You've been doing it six times, six times. in a day? Six times. The first, you, time, first oh. time he thought he let go of the bike a bit late. <laughs> I know, it's nuts. Um, are you a little surprised that it has perhaps underperformed at the box office? Has it underperformed? I think it has a bit. Really? Yeah, I think that uh, the last, I mean, we haven't got to the totals yet, but I think that the last two Mission Impossibles did better box office wise really okay oh, well i think so i mean i we we did have an email from somebody who said that they were bored by it really yeah mm. no i know my reaction is the same i mean obviously everybody's response is mm. valid and you know because yeah, yeah, sure. all, all responses are completely subjective but i i did think tom cruise threw himself off the side of a mountain on a bike six times and the thing with the train at the end there's the carriage and then there's the carriage and then there's the car and then there's the other carriage and then there's the other carriage bored <laughs> what's, uh, like, what more does he need to do? Is, is Russell Crowe in Gladia? Are you not entertained? He should have held on to that bike <laughs> a little longer. Just a little longer. Uh, uh, UK number four, US number four is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I haven't seen this. Man. I was off and I confess that I didn't rush to see it. I will catch up with it. But um, 
the thing it is worth the first the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Did you know that when it came out it was nineteen ninety whatever was the most successful independent movie of all time? I did not know yeah. that. Isn't that interesting? Wow. It took a huge amount of it cost nothing at all. But it was and people go, it wasn't independent. You go, no, it was independent outside the studio system. It was the most successful independent movie of all time. That, and that wasn't animation, was it? No, they, no, that uh, was not. It was, was, was guys in rubber suits. Guys in, suits, guys yeah. in rubber suits. Yeah. Yeah, it was that movie. It sells. Uh, UK number three, US number two, The Meg 2. So currently, according to just uh, Screening International today, number one in the global box office ahead of Barbie. We will do a full review later on uh, in the show because it wasn't reviewed last week. Um, I think I'm out of step with critics but I think I'm in step with the audience. We have a correspondence on that, so we'll include that later. We'll include that later. UK number two, US number three is Oppenheimer. There's been so much discussion about this. Um, we had some of it at your house last night mm. with uh, Child... That two. Child, child two. Um, yeah. And it was, I was, it was just... It, it's fascinating to hear what people take from it. The thing that everyone's agreed on is that Killian Murphy is astonishing if he doesn't get oscar nominated well i mean i know the oscars oscars from oscar but you know he deserves because it's extraordinary i think the most remarkable thing about the film is using the imax format to do close face stuff because when you think of imax you think of landscapes you, you think of you know huge explosions you think of you, you know all the spectacle the most interesting thing about oppenheimer is that they've turned the face and his face into a spectacle and there are very few people who could get away with that level of intent? I mean, you know, his face is the size of a house. I have some reservations, but I still feel I've only seen it the once, and it felt slightly cold to me. But that may be me. You've seen it, right? Yeah, and I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was incredibly absorbing. I mean, it's a, it's a three hour courtroom drama, really, with some bits kind of yeah. added in. But yeah. I think in customary style, I think Christopher Nolan does something different with that uh, courtroom format. Um, in terms of time, in terms of action, in terms of sound, particularly, which I thought was brilliant. I did the, the, the and I did love it. I did enjoy it. I thought Robert Downey Jr. was brilliant in it yeah. uh, as well. Always yeah, great to see Tom Conti because the last time I saw him was in Paddington, <laughs> being attacked and having his head shaved, <laughs> hair Tom shaved Conti. off by uh, Paddington. But um, but one of the, the two things I wanted to mention. Well, one is I thought I don't know if you think this. I thought there was uh, unnecessary nudity. Yes, I, I, it is. As I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to remember previous Chris Nolan sex scenes, and I can't. And I do think that the the sequence in which they're in the courtroom, she imagines, um, you know, the 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 lover, Florence Pugh. Yeah, yeah. You go. You go. Yeah. I, I, really? I mean, I, I kind of know that already. I'm not sure that that's the way to do that. I, it seemed a little misplaced to me, actually. And the other thing I just wanted to flag up. Yeah, you raised yeah. something last night which I had never heard of, which was... So this was, this was in the news uh, when Oppenheimer was released in India, which yeah. is that there is a scene where... Uh, well, Oppenheimer's famous quote, which is, I am become death, uh, destroyer of worlds, yes. which is a line from the Bhagavad Gita, which yeah. is a Hindu holy book. And uh, in India, they had... Um, there were protests because the... Um, the utteration of that phrase is used sort of mid during a sex scene. Yes, because Florence Pugh finds it in a book. Yes, and so the, the, where it stands in the film is that she finds it in a book. She says, "Oh, look, there's a book. What's this?" He says, "Sanskrit." Yeah. She goes, "You can read it. Read that line," and he translates it to yes. uh, his famous quote. And 
initially, I just thought, I'm not sort of prudish about these things, but I thought, eh, it's a film. You kind of like mm-hmm. juxtapose this, that, and the other. And when I saw the film, I thought, do you know what? I mean, I kind of get the complaint because to me, that famous quote is powerful because it was a reaction to seeing the bomb go off. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the film, it's done as a, well, I'm learning Sanskrit. And we as the audience are supposed to know that's his famous line that he says after the bomb went off. He doesn't say it then. It's not repeated. And it just sits at this moment of nookie, of kind of like intense nookie. And so it's kind of, it felt... For those listeners who weren't alive in the 1970s, nookie is sex. It it can be. (laughs) It could be heavy petting. it's It's just a word that... Has fallen out of currency. It's like heavy- I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing it back. I can't, I like Nookie. I, I mean, <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's right, that's right. Uh, I put it out there. Step away, step right, away, step away, step away. <laughs> no, but this, but it is. It was a fascinating point because it had not even occurred to me. And then when you said it, I was surprised that it hadn't occurred to me. It was like it was. I, I was suffering from a cultural blind spot that I didn't even notice it. No, well, it was kind of because I'd, I'd sort of read about the protests and stuff, uh, you know. It, but it's it's it would have struck me as odd anyway yeah. because the nudity struck me as odd yes. because it didn't really kind of help or aid the story in any way yeah. or the characters. You know, if that had been shot differently, I wouldn't have thought, well, what that needed was a nookie scene, <laughs> Oppenheimer. It would have been great. Four out of five, five if it had the nookie scene. And so, um, anyway. That's just that. Anyway, there was a guy called Craig Hasoda who, some time ago, wrote a book called The Bare Facts Video Guide Where to Find Your Favorite Film Actors Naked on Film. And it was literally just a list of like the title, and it went 53 minutes left buttock. No, yeah, really? Literally, literally. Did anyone buy that? I mean, it's- it, it, it was a cultural thing. Really, I well, yeah, I, that was, I it was it was literally a previous century. I have a no nudity clause in all my contracts. Yeah. yeah, insisted upon by the filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my so Tell him to keep his clothes on. Uh, so we'll have some, uh, there's a couple of bits of correspondence about Oppenheimer, which we'll get to in take two. Excellent. But more importantly, uh, UK number one, US number one is Barbie. Well, I reviewed it. I loved it. I've seen it twice. Uh, we have an email here which says, Hi, Barbie, and hi, Barbie, MTL, FTE, grade three violin. At the risk of contradicting myself, I wanted to add to the litany of comments that have been written about the okay. Barbie movie. Yeah. I went to see it over the opening weekend, and quite frankly, I loved it. Excellent. It was joyful. It was smart. It was funny. And it was packed out. I left with a spring in my flat feet after seeing a blockbuster end with a joke about a very female rite of passage. What has left me really disappointed over the last few weeks is the huge number of articles written about how Barbie is not feminist enough or the lack of diversity of body shape within the Kens in the film. Complaints that this movie is being held as a feminist masterpiece, but it's just a vehicle for capitalism and maybe Gerwig isn't the progressive she claimed to be. Quite frankly, it boils my blood. This is the biggest box office success by an original film written and directed by a woman ever. And all we can do is criticise it for not being feminist enough. I'm reminded of Gloria's rant in the movie of the inherent contradictions of trying to exist as a woman within the patriarchy. But somehow somehow the writers of these articles didn't think about this and how they were precisely playing into this trope that nothing we do is ever enough. You know what Barbie is? It's a wonderful, joyful blockbuster movie, which by some miracle also gets to be feminist and full of jokes that would have been written off as not mainstream enough because they're about the female experience just a few years ago. Gerwig did films like Lady Bird and Little Women, which were thoughtful and dramatic films about the female experience, acted amazingly and brilliantly written and directed. And she did not get the recognition she deserved. She has now written and directed one of the biggest box office successes of recent years. Yet we still want to tear her down for not being feminist enough. 
enough. I can't help but think of all the wonderful, fun and action-packed movies directed by men that were never subjected to this level of scrutiny. Christopher Nolan can write and direct lots of films of white men talking to other white men, and he is the visionary. Seriously, I want to go and live in Barbie land for all its flaws. Down with the patriarchy, up with women supporting women, Susie. Susie, that is absolutely on the nail. Nail, hammer, hit, hit, whatever the thing is. I mean, it's, I always remember the old analogy, you know, as somebody who's a, you know, bleeding heart lefty, I am. Everybody always said, you know, the, the right don't have to fight the left, just let the left fight itself. And it is, it's like, yeah, for heaven's sake, it's a Barbie movie that actually owes a debt to Todd Haynes's superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. That is wildly subversive, and it's really good fun. Well, while we go and play guitar at someone, <laughs> we're that's, a... well, that's always my favourite line in the film. Well, let's have a Sit break. Sit there while I play guitar at you. Hello, Kermit and Mayo listeners. We want to tell you about another show you're going to love, Dinners on Me with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You may know Jesse as Mitchell on Modern Family or for his Tony Award-winning performance in Take Me Out on Broadway. Each week, Jesse takes a different celebrity guest out to eat at a restaurant chosen just for them. No repeats. Past guests include Sofia Vergara, Brian Cranston, Mandy Moore, Chelsea Clinton and Ed O'Neill. More than 30 episodes are available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Welcome back. Today's guest is the director of Gran Turismo. He's known for sci-fi films District 9, Elysium and Chappie. It's director Neil Blomkamp. You'll hear my interview with him after this clip from the film. You really think that you're going to put some kid who's been playing a game in his bedroom into a 200-mile-an-hour rocket? It'll tear him to pieces. You know that if you get in a wreck out here, you can't hit reset, right? How many guys you go to before you went to me? A few. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> These kids, they're outsiders too. And that was a clip from Gran Turismo, and I'm delighted to be joined by its director, Neil Blomkamp. Neil, welcome. Where do we find you? I'm in Barcelona right now at a racetrack, um, which is kind of awesome. I sort of wish I used this track in the movie, actually, to be honest. <laughs> well, the ones that you used in the movie are pretty awesome in themselves, actually. Uh, Neil, could you um, please just introduce us to the world of uh, Gran Turismo and the extraordinary story of Jan Marderborough? Well, so Columbia offered me this film and I had no idea how you could make a movie about Gran Turismo because I know it as uh, basically as a racing simulator. I wouldn't even say it's a game. Like it's it's a racing simulator. And I, I just didn't understand what the approach would be to make a film about this particular game. There's no narrative. There's no characters. And then then I learned about Jan Martinborough and I learned about GT Academy. And GT Academy was this idea that was a combination between Nissan and the, the motorsports division of Nissan pairing up with um, Polyphony, which is the company that made Gran Turismo, the video game company that made Gran Turismo. And basically their plan was to find the world's best simulation races that played GT and see what would happen if they put them in real race cars on, on real racetracks and teach them how to drive an actual car. And there were a bunch of successful drivers, but Jan Martinborough was, was one of the drivers that this film is based on because he went on to race in GT3 classification and he raced at Le Mans and he raced GT500, I think, in, in Japan. 
So it's kind of, it's just an amazing story. It's, it's like taking someone from their parents' bedroom who's, you know, playing PlayStation at home, learning skills well enough to be put on a racetrack with professional race drivers. I mean, it's like, it's very interesting. Do you know what was interesting about that as well is that, A, how young Jan was, the fact that he beat, I think, 90,000 other people yeah. to get the gig. Um, he'd only passed his driving tests a short while before he kind of embarked yeah. on all of this. And it's, it's I mean, it's a, it's a premise that sounds like it was written for a Hollywood film. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, that's, that's one part of it. You know, but the 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 Hollywood film sort of three act structure continues, and it's 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 the 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 movie in the way that it's structured. I think people will think that we embellished a lot of it, and we didn't. You know, it's like this is this is actually how how it played out up until the point that the movie stops, and then obviously his his life continued. And he's still a young man, isn't he? Yeah, he's thirty. Yeah, well, it's just spring chicken. And now this film is obviously you know different from your previous films that involved a lot of science fiction elements and horror, I suppose. What was, what was it that drew you to this film about gaming and racing? It was immediately interesting to me because, I mean, there were, there were a bunch of different factors, but I, I think maybe, maybe they're of equal importance to me, but I feel like the most important element that drew me in was the movies that I naturally make sort of left to my own devices are quite at their core, they're kind of pessimistic. Like, I'm I'm naturally a little bit more upbeat than than I than I think people would assume I would be, given the the subject matter that I'm interested in and how I have I think a kind of negative outlook on humanity. But um, but there's a mixture in the stuff that I've done before, which is sort of a combination of on a societal level, quite bleak and on a, on an individual or personal level, quite optimistic or quite, uh, finding, finding the good in, in humans, but on an individual level. And this movie was completely, completely different because it felt like it actually was just a straight up positive aspirational story. And, and I realized that there was no plan in future for me to ever make something that would make you know, the 13-year-old version of me leave a theater feeling inspired the way that I did when I saw Rocky or something like that. And and I, I just immediately decided that I wanted to make at least one film that did that. And and then, you know, I could happily return back to some some ultra <laughs> ultra violent, dark, pessimistic. <laughs> so so it, it was super, super clear to me that it was like, no, I want to do exactly that. And then the other two elements was one is I love cars. And then I also was sort of blown away by this concept of being interested in video games and thinking about video games into film adaptations, but never seeing something that was basically a biography mixed with a video game. I thought that was a super interesting way to make a film that was basically a video game title. And and that, that those three things are the things that I think made me want to make it. Um, we kind of established that it's a, it's a true life story and all, all the protagonists are, are still around. I was just wondering if there's a different kind of pressure on you as a director uh, in doing that, because it's it's real people in real life as opposed to fictional characters that you can create, like a like an authenticity that you get the story right. Yeah, I see, right. I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in in that regard, that pressure swirled entirely around Jan because it was so centric around him. It's like the other the other characters are are much less important. It's his it's his story and. 
I I checked with him, you know, I I don't, I don't know about daily, but I would say almost daily, I would check with him in pre-production and also in production about elements like whether it's a, a larger story element or even a smaller um, set decoration or art department question, you know, like anything that, that could add authenticity, I, I would check with him. I mean, I have to confess, I, I did play Gran Turismo. Can you play it? Now you've said it's not a game. I'm not sure what the right word for... No, you you definitely would play it. I mean, it's just okay. a weird. It's a, it's hard to quantify exactly what it is. Like if people don't know it, you know, it's like you're you're basically just driving cars very realistically. Whatever that is, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played the first two versions that came right. out, and then uh, a friend of mine had a steering wheel, and I couldn't afford one, and I then yeah. gave up because it was kind of like, well, yeah. that's more fun than yeah. me sitting in my cars. bedroom with a little controller. Yeah. But um, had you played the game before? Yeah. I, I had played it, but I wasn't like an avid player. My my video game interest is usually more in um, like first-person shooters or multiplayer shooters for whatever reason. It's just like what I'm interested in. But but I had definitely played Gran Turismo. And my brother is like a, a, a sim racing fanatic. So I also had this other level of exposure with him where, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's been in my, it's been in my, my, environment for a decade I, I mean after i saw the film i i drove home after the screening and i've never been more aware of seeing race lines yeah. on the roads around london Apexes, having to yeah. remember yeah, yeah. <laughs> having to remember there's a 30 mile an hour speed limit oh, it's hilarious uh, uh but um, i mean you certainly captured the feel and, and look of the game actually as, certainly as i remembered it and i I wondered how much of a challenge that was in terms of cinematography, particularly to get those textures. Yeah, you know, the, the movie was pretty difficult to film, actually, because there was a lot of different technical elements that I wanted to include that all were very real world. You know, the, the VFX elements, there were there were substantial amounts of VFX that were done, and I'm super happy with the VFX work that we did. But the technical elements in the real world um, were quite were quite hard to execute. Like even just the POV shot, like in Gran Turismo, you have the grill and then you have the, the, in the, in the driver's seat POV. And then you have the shot behind the car mm -hmm. where you can see the whole vehicle. And I wanted all three of those in the movie. So the grill is easy. The whole car is a little bit more difficult because you need a super stable arm to hold the camera. And then you've got to paint out the support. So it looks like the car is just hovering in, in 3d space. But interestingly, the most difficult one is, is the driver's POV. Like it's, it's super complicated because the camera's immense and you've got to bolt it in place of where the head of the driver would be. So all of a sudden it's like you need a right-hand drive vehicle for a left-hand drive appearing vehicle with a stunt driver who's lying under the camera with his hands on the steering wheel, you know, and another driver driving the car. So it's like everything like that just adds up. But I tried to, I tried to basically make a real world version of what the game what, what my perception of what the game felt like. And then also to use VFX to bring the sort of holographic projection of what I imagined the PlayStation computing into the real world. So you could see around the console that he's playing on, like how this is being computed inside the mind of the, of, of the, the PlayStation, essentially. That it's like the car is the correct size. And this track is eight kilometers long, you know? So it's like those, those elements are all really there. Even when you're playing on a small PlayStation that's sitting next to you and you're using a TV, it's, it's calculating it in real space. And it's, it's, that's a very interesting concept that you could like holographically project for the audience and let them see. 
I certainly captured that. It, it was um, the other thing that that really struck me actually seeing it in the cinema was the sound. Yeah, sound is extraordinary. I'm I mean, that's super, just... super, super happy with the sound design in the in the film. I love all the sound designers did such good work. And that must have been was that a post production uh, notions or what, did you have that in mind when you were filming? No, it, it was it was 100 percent thought of like right off the bat. Like there was one sound engineer actually that um, I, I I brought on who who mostly works in commercials and. Had done, I had done a commercial with before, who's kind of really well known um, for putting together just insane vehicle sounds, and then through the the ultra professional uh, you know feature film sound designers and mixers, we just basically ended up with this like triple A you know group of, of 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 sound people that was like I was just lucky to work with. Uh, we must mention Archie Madoki, who stars as Jan Mudenborough, who put in such a believable performance. Uh, what, what was it about him specifically that you felt was right for the part? Well, I'd, I'd gotten to know Jan to some degree. And, you know, what what you were referring to earlier about trying to make something that felt authentic to the story of his life, particularly. And Archie, Archie was right for a whole number of different reasons. But I, I initially did a Zoom with him and met him for the first time. And I could just tell instantly that he was the right person for the movie. And then, and then I met him in, in real life in London and he encapsulates, like on one hand, he's just a, a very, very talented actor. And then on the other hand, he sort of, even though physically he's very different from Young, his, his energy, like the charisma of him is, is sort of in line with Young. Like they're both very grounded. I, I just felt like he was right immediately. And then I, I ended up loving working with him. You know, he's like a very professional, very attentive actor who... He's just a great collaborator. He's also exceptionally tall. Yeah, it's crazy tall. Uh, it, it was he's just about six and a half feet tall or something. He looks. Yeah, yeah, he, he is exactly like six and a half feet. And he, and it, and it was it was uh, it was actually physically troublesome, like to get him into the car and make make you know. We well, that's what him. I was wondering. Yeah, it was like it was difficult, and he hated being in the car. Absolutely hated it. It's it's funny, like I you know, it, for someone who leads the movie. He has no interest in cars, no interest in racing, and no interest in Gran Turismo, which basically tells you he's a good actor. Like that, those are the requirements, essentially, of like, if he was into any of those, I would be concerned. Well, those are great notes when I go into my next audition for the next film I go up for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how much of the driving uh, did he and, and the other cast members do? I, I heard quite a lot. Well, you know, it's... None of none of them were driving in the sense that they're hitting like the accelerator or the brakes, but but every single time you see him or any of the other actors in the cars, it is one hundred percent real. I mean, there's like meaning meaning that there's a stunt driver in a pod system that's either almost always on the roof, um, which frees up your entire internal cabin for whatever camera placement you want. The thing also to remember that's really insane is. The driver is above him and he's he's having to have faith in the driver. But the other thing is that firstly, he has the cameras in front of him, but he we also put diffusion on the windshield and the windows, right? To try to control the light. So he has no field of view, basically. He's, it, it, you have all of those G-forces with within an enclosed environment and the heat of the car. So it's basically like a motion sickness nausea machine. That's absolutely terrifying. I mean, I've done lots of kind of car sequences when you've got the camera rig in front of you, 
And it's really disconcerting. Yeah. And, and you know, on a low loader or something like that. So yeah. carving trail behind for those people who don't know. And and that's really unnerving on its own. Yeah. But uh, thank you, uh, N- uh, Neil. I mean, whatever it is uh, that you do next, to quote from Gran Turismo, uh, take that Kenny G anger and unleash it. Uh, cool. Um, Neil Blomkamp, very much appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. That was Neil Blomkamp. The film is Gran Turismo, and here comes the review. So, firstly, um, I'm not a gamer, uh, and what I know about uh, racing cars would not fill the back of a postage stamp. So I didn't know any of this. I didn't know the story of uh, Jan Meldenbrook at all. Um, I went in thinking, oh, it's you know, it's a it's a computer game movie. Let, let's see what happens. And I'm a I am a fan of Neil Blomkamp. I mean, I love District Nine. I actually liked Elysium, which had a sort of slightly harder time with the with the critics. Um, and so the story itself is kind of rather extraordinary and you said you know it, it's a bit of a left turn in terms of his previous right. career but the, the, there is still a central thing about alien worlds colliding is that on the one hand you have the gamer community and on the other hand you have the racing community the sim races and the real races and somebody goes from this world into this world which is not a million miles away from people come from outer space and arrive on earth and find it to be a hostile and harsh place so i think actually there is a tie-up with the rest of Blomkamp's uh back catalogue and I think that thing about him saying it was a chance to make a movie that would make the young version of me come out of the cinema feeling uplifted, which I think works well. Archie Madoki is really good in the central role. Again, as I said, I didn't know the character beforehand. I'm slightly taken aback at the beginning to find out that his parents are played by Jim and Hansu and Ginger Spice. But actually, weirdly enough, I thought that that very quickly I got over that. Very quickly, it was just like, okay, fine. Well, that's you know a strange bit of casting initially, but then perfectly fine. The person who steals the show, of course, is David Harbour, who plays the trainer, who basically is doing Lou Gossett Jr. from an officer and gentleman. You're all rubbish, and none of you are going to get through. And I'm going to give you're all going to DOR by the end of the thing. And then, of course, he starts to rose because he's told by Orlando Bloom, Orlando Bloom, who is cast as this slime ball uh, sort of motorsport wheeler dealer. And it's an interesting bit of casting that actually kind of, I think, oddly works quite well. Um, He said, yeah, but the thing is, they're outsiders and you're an outsider because you're a racer and then you stepped away and you're an outsider. So at the center of it is that relationship between the trainer and the driver. They discover that they have more in common than you think. I think the, the stuff that works is that all the stuff when he's gaming he makes it, he sort of imagines it as a real world thing. So when he's sitting there playing at his console, he imagines the car is sort of virtually appears around him. But then when they get out on the racetrack, he imagines it as a game. So you get, I mean, this we had a little bit of this in Tetris, which we talked about um, a little while ago, that when he's on the racetrack, you get the visuals from the game, you know, first place, second place, goal achieved, all that stuff. And I actually thought that that blurring of the two worlds was well done. There are some drawbacks. The script to say the script is on the nose is to understate the punch-you-in-the-nose nature of the script. I mean, it is a script in which people do sort of say things out loud in a way that you think, okay, uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have gone that way, but, you know, since you are literally stating what we're seeing right now, right in front of it. There's it's... way more text than sub. <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all text. It's not there. There, there is there is no underlying message that somebody doesn't shout. Very, you're getting this at the back. Two worlds colliding. It's virtual, but it's you know. That said, I thought the racing sequences were very exciting. I didn't know the story. I mean, some people said, "Well, of course you know." Well, I don't. I didn't know the story, and um, 
And I did find some of those bits really, really tense. And uh, somebody who, who isn't a gamer, I was drawn into this. And I did think, guys, this is true. He literally went from being a kid playing a game at home in Cardiff <laughs> to, to doing Le Mans. Which is, my dad took me to see the film of Le Mans when I was a kid. And I was always, and there's a bit when I think David Harvey gets one, like, you know, Le Mans is, a, it will test your, it was just almost like it will test your head, your mind, and your brain. You know, it was, it was one of those. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was. I mean, I, I, there are things wrong with it, but nothing, nothing that made me not think that if I was a, you know, if I was a teenager watching that film, I'd be swept up in it. Come on, what did you think? I, no, I, I enjoyed the racing scenes very much. I completely agree with you, actually. I think that, you know, I'm a sucker for for uh, parent-child relationships in films, and I thought the heart of this was a father-son, one one with his actual father and then one with his surrogate father, neither of which stories were developed as much as I would have liked. No. Um, but, um, although although uh, Jerry Halliwell does get to deliver the immortal line, these lentils, they're nice. I, I did wonder on set uh, whether Jerry Halliwell uh, had asked Neil Blomkamp or told Neil Blomkamp uh, what she wanted, you know, what she really, really wanted. Uh, so I'll just leave that out. Here there. all week. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't did. You go changing. <laughs> Murph and the magic terms. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a great reference. Um, okay, cool. Well, that was Gran Turismo uh, and. Uh, we are now, I believe, looking at my script. Um, it's time, Sanj. It's time to tank okay, your. Gonna, it's I'm, time to tank your career once uh, and for all. I'm going to read this with one slight self-edit. Okay. Okay. I just like to read to set this up as star of stage, screen, and radio. Funny man, Sanjeev Bhaskar leads us into. <clears throat> Here's the script. It's the ads in a minute, Mark. But first, it's time once again to step into your. It says our. Your laughter lift. <laughs> Don't blame me. Hey, Mark. Hey, Sanj. In can... light of your review of uh, upcoming Meg 2 this week, who's a shark's favourite Star Wars character? Who's a... I don't know, Sanj. Who is a shark's favourite Star Wars character? George or Binks? Chewbacca. George or Binks is funnier. Chewbacca doesn't. I, I mean, it's, it's got just, the word "chew" in it, but and also Chewbacca's name is literally a pun on yeah. Chewbacca. Yeah. Okay, so but hey, let's move on. Let's, very poor. Let's not very be held poor. back by that. And since we're also reviewing Gran okay. Turismo, or yes, at least we just and have since done, we've just, just reviewed done. Gran Turismo, you haven't checked this script, have you? Bit of a test for you now. Who won the 1975 F1 World Championship? I don't know, Sanj. Who won the 19... Yeah, you have, you've got a specific thing to say. Oh, I've got, it's a script. Yeah, oh, yeah. hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'll set it up again. Wait, well, hold on, hold on. I haven't got it. I haven't given Page me 14. Anything. Yeah, but look, they blanked my bits out. <laughs> They've literally... Look, it's... It got the, okay, I, I Tell see me it. what to say. Uh, I'll read it. I'll read it. Okay. Uh, bit of a test for you now. Who won the 1975 Formula One World Championship? Louder. Who won? It's just, I can't Okay. Anyway, we've got one more. It was great. That sound you can hear is your career in freefall. It's, it's the hope. It's the hope. Okay, okay, fine. Okay, right, okay, let's get it, get it. Anyway, I know you're missing Simon since he's left you, so I've just bought a racehorse and named it Mayo. Mayo nays sometimes. 
by Grabthar's hammer. <laughs> what, what a, a savings. savings. Anyway, we're still here. We've survived. Uh, what's still to come? I don't think anything is still to come. Meg 2. Uh, we'll be back after this. Unless you're a vanguardista, in which case we'll be back after this. Or you're Sanji's agent going, I don't want to work with you anymore. And we're back. And now it's time for Meg 2. <laughs> It's funny whenever anybody ever does the duh thing because it was was it naked was it naked gun part duh I think that was where that that all began uh, no I think it was naked gun two and a half no there is a naked gun two and a half but that's the that's the third one isn't no it? no it, oh no 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 it was hot shots it was hot shots part, part duh, duh. Yeah. well done that's right and it was naked gun then naked gun two and a half then naked gun and this is the best one thirty three and a third fantastic just for the record <laughs> I think, was it number two that was uh, the smell of fear. The sm Yes, I think that's right. But just for the record, that's it. Okay, so Excellent. Uh, Meg 2, The Trench, which is the sequel to The Meg, based on uh, the series of Meg novels. This is based on the sequel, although very, very loosely. Incidentally, in the series of Meg novels, there are Meg Primal Waters, Meg Hell's Aquarium, and the forthcoming Meg Purgatory. So there isn't a Meg Richardson. Very good. Or indeed a Meg Ryan. No. <laughs> So this is the, the the big news. This was it was it's directed by Ben Wheatley, and I, I I'm I'm a fan of Ben Wheatley's films. And Ben Wheatley started his career with sort of viral comedies, and then he graduated to low budget works like Down Terrace and Kill List and Sightseers and Field in England. He did High Rise, which I thought was a really kind of ambitious adaptation of that. Free Fire, which I loved, and then the Netflix Rebecca remake. Most recently, he made that eco horror in the Earth, which they made during lockdown, which I thought was terrific. And when he said that, I said, what are you doing next? He said, I'm doing the Meg 2. I went, I'm sorry. He said, I'm doing Meg 2 with Jason State. Pardon me. Um, and it, of course, you know, it sort of actually makes sense when you know Ben Wheatley's sensibility. But so this opens 65 million years ago. There's a food chain. There's bugs. And then a bug's eaten by a bigger creature. And then a bug's eaten by a dinosaur. And then, rah, so it's it sets itself up as Jurassic Shock. Okay, boom. Thank you. I was very proud of that joke. So now, five years after the original Meg, uh, aka Jason Statham's Shark Puncher. So Jonas, he's been fighting eco crimes. He's helping to explore the Mariana Trench while serving as a single parent to his daughter, Ming, who, with help from their uncle, who is played by Wu Jing, who's a Chinese martial arts star. Um, they've been training a baby Meg to respond to their commands. Although Jason thinks you can't train a Meg. A Meg is just a Meg. You know, you can't, just, whatever you, it's, oh my God, it's Megalodon. And it proves right when the Meg gets out into the, into the, it goes to the trench and then other Megs are in, Megs are in the trench and they are protected by the thermal barrier, which stops them coming out of the trench. But there are people doing illegal mining in the trench and there's an explosion thingy which breaks the thermal barrier. And so Megs get out of the trench and there's a, there's a whole lot of kind of Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff. So Jules Verne, it's, I mean, this is clearly made by somebody who grew up loving Land That Time Forgot, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mothra, of course, you know, Ben Wheat is a big fan of Mothra. And actually, in many ways, Meg to the Trench is a sort of modern version of Mothra. It's also clearly made by somebody who, because he's kind of the same age as me, do you remember action comics in the 1970s yeah. with Hook, which we, we, we always get them taken off you at school? Mm. You, you can't have that. It was disgraceful. And there are Thunderbirds gags in uh, Meg as well. And I say this to somebody who has a Thunderbird puppet of themselves. 
this set pieces, which is like this underwater thing when they're in this one place and they have to get to this other place and they have to walk in these suits and but there's all this sort of magical stuff going on. There are set pieces involving the Stath on a jet ski and a lot of it is apparently the Stath on a jet ski with a pointy stick fighting monsters that are like the size of a house and you go, but it's a pointy stick with a thing on the end of it. How's that going to work? It's okay because he's the Stath. And then it all leads to a place called Fun Island. Fun Island is entirely populated by a bunch of people who, you know, they just look like bait. That's what they're there for. And then all this stuff is happening. So film wasn't widely pressed. I saw it a while ago because Ben Wheatley came on MK3D, you know, the show that I do at the BFI. And I saw it in the morning and I came out of it and I said, well, that was absolutely mad. And uh, and I had enjoyed it. And then, of course, the, the, there have been a few... The critics have been very, very sniffy about it. The box office, however, has been very, very good. I mean, worldwide, it is currently number one in the box office. Why? Well, the reason is very simple. It may not be a critics' film, but it's much more fun than it had any right to be. Firstly, the problem with the, with the first film, the first film was too well-behaved to be really entertaining. Like, it sounded like it was a great idea, but it was kind of PG-13 and it didn't have the gore or the bite that it needed to have. So it was like, the, you know, after that trailer, oh my God, it's Megalodon. And you go to the film, oh yeah, okay, that's... So Meg 2, because they still can't have any more gore because it still has to be the same sort of family rating, what they've done is cranked up the madness. So it starts in kind of, okay, fine. Yeah, this is like a bit more Meg and, you know, I understand that thing. And then the second act picks up the pace. There's the underwater sequence in the trench, you know, and it, it could have been out in space. So that's good. And then the third act goes absolutely loop-de-loo, la-la, what on earth is going on? And it everything Everything is thrown at the screen. There's more Megs. There's more monsters. There's more whirlycopters fighting giant, big tentacular things that get cut. In. And there's one moment when literally a huge big tentacle and a whirlycopter thing goes around and the tentacle comes flying up. And I'm thinking, this is insane. This is absolutely... You know, and the best thing about it is that it's paced in a way that kind of goes, you know, boom, 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 boom. And the whole film has got this kind of headlong rush to it. that. I, I really enjoyed myself. I mean, there are, okay, on one level, it's a it's a sort of, you know, a well-made version of Sharknado or Shark Exorcist. I mean, it's that level of sort of, you know, foolishness. But I think that what Ben Wheatley has done is to understand that understand what it is, that it is, it is a fun, ridiculous romp. And the way in which it's paced and the fact that he, I think he loves the same things that I love. I mean, there is an awful lot of those you know, you keep expecting to see Doug McClure turn up. Or, and But I, I wrote down a bunch of lines from the movie, which kind of, which delighted me. Okay, so here are some of the, the, the dialogue highlights. Statham, it's a deviated septum, which is fantastic. Half my team is dead and I'm not going to lose the other half. I've slightly had to, um, uh, uh, this sure is some dumbass spit. <laughs> Followed by, that was some unfortunate spit back there. And one of my favourites, this feels unpleasantly familiar. <laughs> Another later on, I still think we look like food. <laughs> and the standout, he ate the whole boat. <laughs> he ate the whole boat. The whole boat. Brilliant. Honestly, I, I grinned all the way through it. And I, I thought that the thing that was really... Smart man. Like I said, I've seen the reviews, and I, 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 some of the reviews have been um, like really, really, really stinky. Uh, I mean, most of the reviews have been really, really stinky. 
I really enjoyed it. And I know that what everyone says, they say, well, you really love it because you love Ben Wheatley. I love Ben Wheatley because he's the kind of guy who can take Meg to the trench, it's a deviated septum, and make a movie that kicked me out at 11 o'clock on a you know Thursday morning with a smile on my face from ear to ear. I mean, it's you know, I've, I've read some of the reviews and it, uh, there were some that debated whether this... It, this wasn't a film that was so bad it was good. It was it was so bad it was bad. No, but also that's not right. Sometimes I think you just need silly. Yeah, and it releases a certain amount of tension because yeah. you just go, it's just silly, it's, and it's supposed to be silly, and that's absolutely fine. Does it fall into that category? Yeah, and he knows exactly what he's doing, and you know, he's yeah. I think it's a film that knows what it's doing and is enjoying doing it. I think in any film where you've got you know the state who's effectively saying. Just hand me the pointy stick. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a jet Just ski. Just the pointy stick. And I know that the thing is enormous, but I'm going to stick the pointy stick in and the can, end of the thing. I'm going to free dive to the bottom of the trench. <laughs> With my deviated septum. With septi. my deviated septum. <laughs> um, we have a bit of uh, uh, correspondence that's come in. Okay, uh, go. It says, Dear Rosie and Jim, chugging okay. along on the old rack doll. Okay. LTL and FTE, always been happy to listen from the periphery rather than send in my opinions. However, it took a recent viewing of Meg 2, The Trench, to air my views. While Watching M2TT, belief was firmly suspended on numerous occasions. I have never facepalmed during a film till this, but once that seal was broken, the well was returned to numerous times. <laughs> From gaping plot holes with oxygen reserves and underwater atmospheric pressure to special reference to the whole deviated septum diving <laughs> scene, the film feels it is set in an alternative reality where really and WTF reactions <laughs> are par for the course. Yes, the second half of the film desperately steals plot elements from Avatar Piranha and even looks to go full-on Godzilla at one point to keep the action going. And Mothra. I would say I had enjoyed the film, but don't know what I feel as I left the cinema dumbstruck. David, uh, 465 ranked Magic of the Gathering player UK Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering. Magic, Magic the Gathering. Sanj, welcome to the family. Magic the Gathering. Big, Magic part the of gathering. Our, big part of our household. I love that. I'd say I enjoyed it, but I don't know what on earth I felt. I came out WTF. That, I think, is exactly right. And and can I just reassure you, you did enjoy it. You With all that face palming, what the actual, yeah. It's, it's good, fun. Good face palming. It's fun. Good face palming. Good but face just don't palming. deviate your septum. Yeah, I mean, point, you do it, you can do it like that. Pointy stick. <laughs> uh, that's Meg 2. Um, of course, send your correspondence in as you get to see it over the coming weeks. And now it's time for this week's listener correspondence. Hello, Mark and Simon. On our doorstep is the timely new independent documentary about the Calais jungle refugee camp and the grassroots humanitarian movement that rose to its aid in 2016. After sellout shows across the country, the film has been called galvanizing and inspiring, an essential documentary and a remarkable act of bearing witness. My name is Tom, I'm the director, and I just wanted to let your discerning listeners know that there are two more opportunities to see this documentary on the big screen, this Saturday the 12th of August and Tuesday the 15th of August at Bertha Dock House in London. From then onwards, it's available to stream on Curzon Home Cinema. Come down and see it or sit up and stream it, it'll be worth your while. Go to onourdoorstepdoc.com forward slash screenings. Thanks very much. That was Tom, the director of On Our Doorstep, an indie documentary about the Calais refugee camp, which is screening in London this month. And remember, send your 20-second audio trailer about your event anywhere in the world to correspondence at kermodenmayo.com. And that's the end of Take One. Uh, this has been a Sony Music Entertainment production. The team was Lily Hamley, Ryan O'Meara, Matthias Dores, 
Beth was the assistant producer. Michael Dale wrote the guest notes. Hannah Talbot was the producer. Mark, what is your film of the week? Am I allowed to do this? I want. And it came out last week, but can I have Meg 2, please? Meg 2, The Trench. There you have it. Um, we've got take two and take three coming up, which will also be dropping today. Thanks very much for your time. Take care of yourselves. 